How we doing, Embassy Church? Come on. It is so good to be with you guys today. What an honor it is to finally get to come and be a part of Embassy Church. Of course, I wish that we were gathering physically together, but I do believe in time we will get that privilege. Uh, I'm just so honored to be a part of church today. Um, Pastor Tim and Juliet are dear friends of ours. And I really don't have nearly enough words to say about their life and really their leadership in our lives here in Miami. I mean, for the last 10 years, I think now, Tim Ross has been coming to Miami, sewing into our ministry when we were working with mom and dad at Trinity Church to even right now at VU Church. And we're just so grateful for your pastors. I mean, what can they not do? They're phenomenal leaders, but I mean, their ability to teach the word is really second to none. And uh, I'm just so honored that I get a chance to come and sew back into a little bit into the work uh, that you guys are doing there in Texas, because we know down here in Miami that we've been so blessed because of your leadership. And so I'm honored to be at Embassy today. My name is Rich. Uh, I lead a church in Miami called Vu Church. I'm married to one woman, praise God, for the last 14 years. Her name is Dawn Cherie. Um, we have been leading the church. If you can believe it, our church is Vu Church and Embassy Church started the same Sunday five years ago. And so I know this is a big year for all of us as we celebrate five. I've been telling our church five in the Bible is the number of grace. And if you're anything like me, this is a year that we need grace. We need God's empowerment. We need God's strength in every area that we are weak. And so as we celebrate five years, we're believing that, guess what? The same God who took us through the first five is going to be the same God that takes us through the next five. And it's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. We're moving from strength to strength, glory to glory, and grace to grace. But my wife, Don Tree, she sends her greetings and her hello. Uh, we have two sons. Shout out, uh, we went on a journey of infertility for eight years, eight years of waiting and believing. And we learned a deep, deep lesson in that season, that a waiting season doesn't have to be a wasted season. That when you're waiting on God, it's actually never wasted. We serve the God who can do exceedingly immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. After eight years for trying to have kids, uh, three years ago, my wife gave birth to our firstborn son. His name is Wyatt Wesley Wilkerson. And then about a year ago, she gave birth to our second born son. His name is Wild Wesley Wilkerson. Those names, I mean, we just, you know, WWW is their initials. So for, you know, for short, we just call them World Wide Web. Get over here. I mean, like that's their initials. We don't know what those names are going to be, preachers or bank robbers, okay? So, so pray for us. We need grace on those boys. Uh, but just announced, uh, we are really excited because our God, you know, he just said, our family's not complete. He just said, you know, two boys, I gave you double for your trouble, but yo, you need a little girl in that mix. Uh, my wife, Dawn Shree, is pregnant with number three. We've got a little girl on the way and we can't wait to share that miracle with the entire world. And so we are blessed to say the least. And um, we're just so, so grateful. We're so thankful for all that God has done in our lives and what God continues to do. And so today I've come with an encouragement. I know it is the Christmas season. We're just a few days away from Christmas. Merry Christmas to everybody out there. This is this beautiful season that we stop, we celebrate, and we commemorate the fact that Jesus Christ stepped into humanity, got into the mess with all of us, and came to bring us good news. And so 
What a beautiful season it is as we remember his birth and all that he's done in our lives. And today, I didn't wanna just preach the nativity or the Christmas story, and I think that we should hear that story uh, throughout the year, but I did wanna bring you a Jesus story that I think is fitting as we come to the end of this year. I really wanted to encourage and I really wanted to build your faith, not just for you individually, but corporately as a church, as embassy, that you would understand that, man, 2021, God has good things in store for you. God has more in store for you. And I really think it comes down to this idea of just playing the long game. In Miami right now, that's what I'm challenging our church with, play the long game. I said it this way a few weeks ago to our church, Vu Church doesn't wanna be an overnight success. We wanna have an overtime impact. The goal is not just to have overnight growth. The goal is to grow over time. And the truth is, is Pastor Tim, he can teach you how to grow. I I can help you grow. I just can't help you grow overnight. (laughs) I can help you grow over time. And today I wanna preach a message to you. Mark chapter eight, verse 22. I want to read a few verses. It's a Jesus story. I think any Jesus story is a Christmas story. So it is a Christmas story. But uh, this is one of Jesus's peculiar miracles that I think gives us hope, especially as we wrap up 2020 and as we step into 2021. Mark chapter 8, verse 22, it says this. It says, they came to Bethsaida and some brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Watch this. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Well, he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Verse 25, once more. Underline that in your Bible today. Once more. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Don't go into the village. I wanna take a few moments today and I just wanna preach from this passage in this Christmas season as this year comes to an end. I wanna encourage you with this little phrase and the phrase is my title and the title is gradual gains gradual gains. You know, I grew up in a Pentecostal home. I'm four generations pastor's kid on my mom's side and my dad's side. Don't be impressed with that. I mean, that probably just means I've got more problems than you do. Uh, But I am so thankful for my heritage. I'm so thankful for my legacy. I'm so thankful for my parents. Um, My first slow dance was to our God is an awesome God, okay? Like I was in church seven days a week. Like we, we did church. And as I've gotten older, once again, I just have immense gratitude for the way that my parents raised me and they taught me. I'm one of four boys. So I've got an older brother and then I've got two younger brothers. And I don't know if you know anything about boys, but four boys in a house is just kind of, it's rambunctious. It's, it's crazy to be honest with you. My dad was a traveling evangelist for 22 years. He was gone five days a week and home two days a week. So 
most of my upbringing up till I was about 14 years of age, it was just my mom with four boys five days a week. And so my mom was always trying to think about creative ways how to engage our world. Um, she was always trying to think of creative ways to keep us focused, to keep authority and structure in her home. And she had all sorts of traditions. We used to, on Thanksgiving, have to do a recital. Uh, on Christmas day, we used to have to wrap presents for other kids. Um, for Halloween, oh, we didn't have Halloween. We had Hallelujah Day. I mean, how many disciples can you dress up as every year? It just, it kind of, after a while, it's like, which disciple are you? I'm Peter, bro. I got an ear in my hand. Can't you tell? Like, like, like we had to come up with creative ways to be different. But my mom was always fighting to, to bring tradition and to bring unity to our home. And one of the things I remember about my mom that, that I, I loved so much is that every year, my mom would mark our height on our pantry door. We had this little pantry off of our kitchen and you would walk into it and you know we'd have all the snacks and whatnot in there, but the door would close. And when the door would close on the backside of it, every year she would get all the boys to line up on the door. She would take a black Sharpie marker and she would mark and date our height. And what was really, really interesting is that throughout the years, I was able to go to that pantry door and I could go back two years and three years and four years and I could see how tall I was. And the truth is, is that when I went to that pantry door, what I would notice over and over again is that, you know, every year you would just kind of grow by a little. I was just getting taller just by a little bit. I mean, there was maybe one year, I think when I hit puberty that I had kind of a growth spurt where maybe I, I shot up, you know, four or five inches and it was, it was maybe a little bit more drastic than the other ones. But overall, what I noticed about the growth, not of just me, but of all of my brothers, is that the growth was gradual. It was gradual. I love this idea because growing up, I was given a visual aid of what healthy growth looks like. And whether you know this or not, I wanna get this into your soul today. Healthy growth looks gradual. It just looks like a little bit. What if I told you today that that's actually how faith works? What if I told you today that your faith grows gradually? See, I think that a lot of us, we have a difficulty with this truth because a lot of us, when we think about the word faith, we quickly have these other words associated with it, right? We have words like supernatural or phenomenal or suddenly or immediately. Like, and those words are not bad. I believe in all of those words. But a lot of you today that are watching this right now, your entire faith life is going through frustration, disappointment, and in some cases, you're even offended. Why? Because you've only got one set of words associated with your faith. And because of it, you have the wrong picture of faith. And it's leaving you, in many cases, disappointed with yourself. In many cases, maybe you're annoyed with others. In many cases, maybe you're even frustrated with God right now. Why? Because ultimately, when you look at your life, you're frustrated because it's not happening fast enough. Nothing is transpiring in the way that you wanted it to transpire. It's just going far too slow. And you look back at your life and you say, I have faith, but everything around me is moving 
at a snail's pace. This can't be right. Something must be wrong with me or something must be wrong with God or it must be other people who have stopped me. I feel stunted. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you just look at your life and you're just going, it's just all going too slow. I'm still at the same job, no promotion. My bills are still there. I still haven't found someone to spend my life with. We still haven't been able to conceive. We still haven't been promoted. We still haven't purchased the house. Why am I still controlled by this schedule? I don't know what your still is, but you keep on saying thing after thing after thing. I, I, I'm, I'm still waiting for a breakthrough. I'm still waiting for a miracle. I'm still waiting for my purpose. I'm still waiting for my calling. And if you're not careful, you will tell yourself that you are stuck in the exact same place as you've always been. Oh, but I wish today I had a pantry door measuring stick for your faith. I wish I could walk you in to the pantry and I wish for a moment you could look back on your life and you would see that there has been mark after mark of your maturity and growth. I wish you could see how far you have come. I wish you could see that you are not in the same place where you started, but you have grown, but the growth has just been gradual. If you could look back, if you could get an idea just of where you begin, what you would discover is that you have grown mightily. You have come a long way. You have matured. You have developed. You are growing gradually. Come on, somebody right now, just say, I'm growing gradually. Get that phrase this Christmas season. I'm growing gradually. When you guys get around the tree in a few days and you exchange gifts, and maybe this Christmas doesn't look exactly how you wanted it to look, just remind your family, we are growing gradually. It reminds me of what J.R. Tolkien, the writer of The Hobbit in Lord of the Rings, what did he say? He says, little by little, one travels far. And that, my friend, is the truth about faith, that little by little, one travels far. You don't grow overnight. You grow over time. We just don't have a measuring stick for our faith to recognize that, wow, little by little, I have grown. Our text today, Mark chapter eight, really, depicts this principle in such a powerful way. You see, I think so many people in life, they, they pray for a miracle, but then they're surprised by the gradual changes. Friends, oftentimes that's how miracles happen. They just happen with gradual changes. And Mark chapter eight is a phenomenal story of Jesus doing a miracle. But what you'll discover about this miracle that's different from his other miracles is that this miracle is not an immediate miracle. No, it's actually a progressive miracle. Today, I want you to know that not all of God's miracles happen suddenly. Many of God's best miracles, they happen gradually. Mark chapter eight is a phenomenon in process. It's a miracle in motion. It is a slow grow, it is gradual gains. Let me set up the text for you. Mark chapter eight, 
Jesus has really just finished feeding 4,000 people with just a little bit of food. It's a massive miracle. He takes this little thing and does this big thing and then there's food left over. Come on, somebody. We serve the God of more than enough. He's not just the God of enough. He's the God of more than enough. I don't know how this year's ending for you, but I want to keep reminding you that God, he, he doesn't need anything. He has everything. He doesn't need you. He wants you and he has more than enough in store for you. But he does this great miracle. And then the scripture says he walks into this village of Bethsaida. And let's pick up what the text says. It says, they, this is Jesus and the disciples, they came to Bethsaida. And some people, if you got a Bible, I just want you to underline that. Some people. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. I got to stop right there because before this miracle even occurs, something else has occurred. Jesus has finished doing a great thing, a big thing. Now he's got his posse, his disciples, and they enter into Bethsaida. And as they get into Bethsaida, the scripture says that some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged Jesus to touch the blind man. Listen, there is no doubt that when it comes to the salvation story of all of our lives, Jesus Christ gets all of the glory, okay? He gets all of the glory. Yet, even as he gets all the glory, it would be foolish for all of us to forget the fact that God uses people to bring people to Jesus. Please never forget that. I give God all the glory for my salvation, but I also want to recognize that there was other people in the story that God used to bring me to Jesus. And this is a truth for you, right? I mean, you can't, you really can't give God glory without also mentioning the fact that God used wonderful people in your conversion story. I mean, like all of us, right? It's like maybe you had a coworker who brought you to Embassy Church for the first time and that's where you met Jesus. Maybe you had a friend who just continued to listen to you and was patient with you. Maybe you had a spouse who didn't judge you, but rather was gracious towards you and waited on you. Maybe you, 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 you heard a song that melted your heart. Maybe you read a book that enlightened you. Maybe you had a grandmother who never stopped praying for you. Come on, anybody out there have that grandmother? She just kept on praying even when you were wiling out, even when you were on drugs, even when you were saying, I want nothing to do with this Jesus guy. She just kept on praying. Come on, how many of you know there are people to thank? There are people to thank. And what I love is this, is that the scripture says it was some people. I suppose my question for you today, as we're reading this text, is are you living for titles or testimonies? This is a big question, those of you that are believers and followers of Jesus. Are you living this life to get a title from man or are you living this life to get a testimony from God? Because notice this group of some people, we, we don't know any of their titles. It doesn't say that Pastor Johnson brought the blind man. It doesn't say Deacon Jones brought the blind man. It doesn't say Mr. So-and-so. It doesn't say Mrs. Wright. It doesn't say team leader. It doesn't say any of that stuff. In fact, the title that they get is not glamorous. In fact, it's anonymous. It's just some people. We don't even get their names. 
But these some people were so desperate for God to move in somebody else's life that they brought this man to where Jesus was. I wonder today, what are you living for? Are you living for recognition of man? Or are you living to say, I wanna have some testimonies. When my life is finished, I don't care about all the titles. I don't care about what all the people say about me. I want this life to end. I wanna be collecting, not titles. I wanna collect some testimonies. I don't know about you, but I wanna get done with this life and say, yo, I saw God move firsthand. I witnessed miracles. I watched a move of God take place. This is not about Rich Wilkerson Jr. This is not about Vu Church. This is not about Embassy Church. This is about some people who so desperately want God to move in their lifetime that they will go and grab everybody who's broken, everybody who's hurting, and they will bring them to Jesus and saying, Jesus, will you touch them? Come on, church. This is what we're after. I don't want a title. I want a testimony. I've seen God move. I've witnessed his grace firsthand. And this group of some people, they say, would you touch him? Now, if you read this, once again, you can just quickly bypass this. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, but I want you to recognize how provocative this is because you have to understand the thinking of the day. The thinking of the day was, is that your blindness was connected to your sin that any physical ailment that took place in that time period, people believed that was due to the fact that you had sinned or done something and it was a consequence from God. Because of this, in Jewish culture, rabbis, those were the teachers of the law, they would not touch people that were sick or people that had ailments. It just was forbidden. Jesus was seen that day as a rabbi, but thank God, how many know Jesus is so much more than just a rabbi. Jesus is the son of God. This is what we're celebrating in December, that Jesus Christ stepped out of divinity, wrapped himself up in humanity. And guess why he came? He came to get into the mess of our life. He came to touch the messy, the dirty, the broken areas of our life. He can touch our mess and he can turn it into greatness. For whatever Jesus touches, he always transforms. And they say, would you, would you, would you touch this man? Would you touch this blind man? I remember when we first started our church five years ago, much like you guys, we started in a middle school. And this middle school uh, was special because I mean, we began and Pastor Tim, you preached at that JDD location. And we began with two services, a morning and a night service. And you know, just over time, little by little, we added a third service. Then we added a fourth service. Little by little, we added a fifth service. Would you believe it? Before we moved out of that space, or I should say before we split and went to two locations, we were in six services, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 1 p.m., 4 p.m., 6 p.m., and 8 p.m. And your boy preached all six services. I about died doing that. I'll tell you this much. Coming back into 2021, that ain't ever happening ever again. But it was sure fun in the season that we were in. Six services, the 8 p.m. was just holy ghost. I mean, modesty class, you, you know, the whole thing. It was, it was awesome. But of course, with that operation, there was all sorts of challenges, you know, like for instance, um, parking cars. Like I know like it's a good problem, but just parking cars. Like we just had this little auditorium and people were just coming through all the time. Um, parking the cars was one challenge, but 
the bigger challenge was trying to get people that were willing to park the cars. I don't know about you, but there's nothing sexy or cool about being on the parking team. I still have yet to meet someone who's like, you know what? The Lord spoke to me. I found my life calling, my God dream. I park cars for Jesus. You, you just don't hear it a lot. It's not very common. So we have to inspire people. We have to lead people. We have to tell people a bigger story. We have to connect dots. We have to get people to see the bigger reason why they're out there. And I remember for a season, especially in that, I think maybe first or second year, we were growing and I would go out there maybe in two out of the multiple services and I would spend the first 15 minutes of service with the parking team. And I was just trying to build morale and just try to get people to laugh and enjoy one another. And so I'd be out there parking cars. And it was also kind of fun because I could see who came late to church. Um, but I'd be out there. I remember one time I was out there and this, this woman came in and she was in her SUV. It was probably about 15 minutes into the service and she was pulling through. And when she saw that I was in the parking lot, she got excited. And her excitement got me excited. She's like, oh, Pastor Rich, what's up? She rolled down her window. She drove her car over to me with it, like a whole group of parking people came around. There's like, there's like 10 of us around her car and she's just going, she just starts testifying. She's just testifying about God's goodness, about God's grace in her life. She's just celebrating how much she loves Vu Church. And she was getting emotional. I'll never forget because we're just having fun with her. But all of a sudden she took a turn and she said, Pastor Rich, I want to let you know, last week you touched me. And I was like, okay. She said, no, Pastor Rich, you need to know, last Sunday you touched me. And she kept saying this. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And I knew what she meant. She's like, you're preaching. It touched me. But she just kept saying, Rich, you touched me. And finally, you know, after a while, first sentence, I said, ma'am, <laughs> respectfully, no, I did not. <laughs> but ma'am, I know who did. His name is Jesus. It was Jesus who touched you. Friends, what am I saying? I am saying that the same God who touched the blind man 2,000 years ago is still touching people today. Anybody thankful that God doesn't leave you where he finds you? Anybody thankful that when God finds you in your broken state, he says, I'm gonna touch you and transform you. When God finds you in your blind state, he says, I'm gonna touch you and transform you. We serve the God who is still touching people. If you believe it, somebody give God a shout of praise. He's touching people even right this moment. Thank God he touched me. But he touches me to transform me. He transforms me as he takes me on a journey. They come and they beg Jesus, please touch this man. Look what the scripture says. The scripture says that Jesus, verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. I want you to see this. They go, heal him. They wanted a healing. Jesus touches the man, grabs him by the hand, and then takes him outside of the village. Oh, please see this. Jesus, heal him. Do it right now. He grabs the man by the hand and walks him outside of the village. Notice he doesn't heal the man immediately. Instead, he starts walking with the man. I believe this is very, very significant in the story. And that I think Jesus is doing something that is so very gracious to this man. I believe that Jesus wants to restore this man's spiritual sight before he restores this man's physical sight. See, it's better to be blind walking with Jesus than to see and go alone. 
What good is it to have physical sight if you don't have any faith? Listen to me. You don't need physical sight to walk in faith. No, faith is the ability to see the unseen. But God gives us faith not to get some external miracle. God gives us faith to follow Jesus. This is what the scripture says. It's impossible to please God without faith. We need faith. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And Jesus, I believe, is building the man's faith. And before he gives him external sight, he wants to give him internal sight. He wants him to have faith to follow. God, give me faith to follow. It is better to be blind walking with Jesus than to be able to see and be all alone. Jesus is doing a progressive miracle. Jesus is growing the man gradually. Maybe you're out there and you're wondering like, what faith is for. Is faith, does God give us faith just so we can get like healings? Does God give us faith just so we can like get rid of our back pain? Or does God give us faith just so we can name it and claim it and get a bigger house or more money? Now, I think faith contributes to all of those things, but that is not the point of faith. The point of faith is that you would learn how to follow Jesus even when you can't see. For we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And I don't know what it is about this village, but I do know this. I know that environment is absolutely mission critical to you growing in God. That's why I love Embassy Church so much because I just know the soil. I just know the leadership. I just know without even being there physically, the environment that you guys are forming, it's an environment where things can flourish. The scripture says, those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. The question is, is the place that you're planted, is it fertile soil? Can you flourish? Can you grow? Jesus, he says, now nah, I need to... Um, before I do this thing, I need to take you out of this environment. I don't know what was wrong with that environment. Uh, that would just be speculation. I just know he says, I'm gonna take you out of the village. Listen to me. Some of the deepest and most important things that God will do with you on your faith journey will happen when you're all alone with God. I can't stress it enough. Jesus says, we gotta leave the crowd and we gotta go and get alone. Being around God is not the same thing as being alone with God. I want to have intimacy with you. I want you to come into a place of solitude and silence. Some of the deepest things that God has ever shown me or done in my life have happened through moments of solitude. Why? Because it's in silence that God speaks the loudest. You know, every morning I, I, I'm a big guy into habits. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You do your habits. I have my routines and they're not legalistic. They're done out of love. But my, my simple little habit is that uh, I spend you know, 15, 20 minutes, just in prayer time. Meditation is really the word that I would use uh, with Jesus. Where do you do that at, Rich? People are always like, Where, where's your prayer closet? Um, my prayer closet is my shower. Uh, don't judge it. Uh, you could pray anywhere you want, okay? The running water is calming to me and that is my time with Jesus. And I'll just spend some time just getting alone with Jesus, just being quiet with the Lord, just presenting my day, presenting my thoughts, but really quietness, stillness. The scripture says, be still and know that I'm God. I wonder how many people don't know God, not because God doesn't exist or because God's not speaking, but because they don't know how to get still. So I just get still. 
It's just, it's a part of my regular routine. Now listen to me. I don't spend time alone with Jesus every morning for spiritual superiority. That's not what I'm after. It's not about spiritual superiority. It's about spiritual survival. Listen to me. If the only time you're getting in God's presence is Sunday, I'm not judging you. I'm scared for you because I don't just need God's presence through the stream and I don't just need God's presence in the gathering. I need God's presence when my world is falling apart. I need God's presence when I'm in traffic in Miami. I need God's presence when my marriage is rocky. I need God's presence when my kids are running from Jesus. I need God's presence when the doctor says it's cancer and you only got three more months. I'm telling you to get that kind of faith, to get that kind of presence, I gotta get outside of the village. I gotta get alone with Jesus. I gotta walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus is saying, I'm doing something in your life and what I'm giving you is better than you could ever imagine. But for, in order for you to get it, you gotta walk alone with me for a moment. And the scripture says that they, they headed outside the village. And watch this, he gets this man to a place where they're alone. In verse 23, it continues, he says, when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Now this is, this is very, very peculiar. He, he, he spit on the man's eyes. How bad do you really want to get healed? <laughs> this is peculiar and, and strange. And there's lots of different reasons theologians and scholars think that he spit. I'll spare you those reasons. Let's just say it's peculiar and specific to this man's healing. There's seven different healings of blind men in the scripture. Every one of them, Jesus does it a different way. In this case, Jesus, he... He, he spits on the man's eyes and says, do you see anything? I, I just gotta be thinking to myself that this man, while this is all taking place, I wonder if the man is curious. What's going on here? I wonder if this man had heard of the other stories of Jesus healing blind eyes. And I wonder if the man's thinking to himself, hey, all the other stories I heard about, they happened immediately, but mine's happening slowly. All, all of the other miracles they seem to happen fast, but, but mine's going a different way. I wonder if he was disappointed. I wonder if he was confused. I wonder today if in your story and in your situation right now, you're looking around at so many other people and it seems like their callings are flourishing. It seems like they're growing. It seems like they're so happy, especially Christmas, right? Like we can all put on like that, like, you know, eggnog and like the ugly sweater. Like we're so happy, the Instagram life. And I wonder if you're like, ah, I just... God's doing it for them. Why is he not doing it for me? Maybe God's just doing it for you in a different way. Maybe God has a specific way, a peculiar way. Maybe God's just growing you gradually. Jesus says, what do you see? This is a very important question that Jesus asked. And I think he asked all of us. And I want to ask you today, as we get ready to end the year, this has been a difficult year what do you see? What do you see for your personal life? What do you see for your marriage? What do you see for Embassy Church? Oh, come on. It can't just be Pastor Tim and Juliet who are just seeing stuff. You need to come and get under that vision and help them see further and help them see more. What do you see? I, I believe Jesus asked all of us this question. In fact, I think most of his ministry could be marked 
with a frustration of trying to get other people to see what he could see. It's a fun word study sometime. Grab a concordance, look up the word see in the New Testament or in the gospels really, and notice how many times Jesus is challenging his disciples. Why can't you see? See now, see I'm doing this. How come you don't see that? Why? Because the mark of every great leader is the ability to get others to see what they can see. How come? It's because vision gives pain purpose. Vision sets direction. Vision creates passion. I wanna say it to you loud and clear. Where you're headed is more important than where you have been. The future is bright in Jesus Christ. Embassy Church, the future is bright. What do you see? Open up your spiritual eyes. What do you see? He's doing something peculiar. He's doing something specific. He is the God who takes the man outside the village, spits on the man's eyes. It seems strange. It seems odd. It was certainly uncommon, but that's who he is. He does uncommon things in our lives. What do you see? The man replied in verse 24, I see people and they look like trees walking around. What an interesting response. I see people, they look like trees walking around. I've heard this text preached and thought about and talked about. I heard one preacher one time describe this idea that he believed that his spiritual sight had been restored. And now this man was seeing things from a metaphorical lens. And he was seeing things the way that things should be, that people should walk around like trees because trees in the Bible are rooted and steadfast. The opposite of a tree would be like grass. Grass withers and it fades. Can I speak something into your life today? God has called you to be like a tree planted by streams of living water, that you're to you're gonna have deep roots in the ground that you might bend, but you will not break. You are not like grass. You are not just growing and sprouting up and swelling up fast. No, you are sturdy. You are strong. You're to stay put and weather the storm. But I'm not that spiritual. <laughs> and uh, I'm a little bit more practical. When I read the text, what I see is that it's just is what it is. What do you see? I see people and they look like trees. I see a man whose eyes have not been fully restored, that his vision is still blurred. The miracle is still happening. It's just happening gradually. What is an interesting observation is that the man says, I see people and they look like trees. One could easily make an observation that this man must not have been born blind. For if he had been born blind, he wouldn't know what people look like, and he certainly wouldn't know what trees look like. As we read the text, it makes us believe that he must have lost his sight along the way. How many know, never having something is different from having something and losing it. And I wanna to preach to you today. I don't know what you have lost in 2020. I don't know what you have lost on this journey. I don't know what you have lost to sin. I don't know what you've lost to shame. I don't know what you've lost to poor decisions. I don't know what you've lost to the enemy. I don't know what you've lost because people have stolen from you. People have betrayed you. I don't know what you've lost. Maybe be your confidence, it might be your security. It might be your purity, but I got a word for you today. You can get it all back 
in Christ Jesus. I got news for you today. That which the enemy stole, Jesus wants to provide back to you. How do I know? I know because we serve the once more God. The scripture says that verse 25, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. I love that phrase. What do you see? I see people that look like trees. Oh, this man wasn't born blind. This man lost his sight along the way. It's a picture of so many of us. I started out with vision. I started out with life. I had passion, but somehow life, it took it from me. It robbed it from me. Well, what do you see now? I see it's coming back. I'm getting it back little by little. It's gradually coming back, but I still can't see clearly. I still can't get it all the way. And Jesus says once more, once more, I'm gonna pray for you. Once more, I'm gonna put my hands on you. Once more, I'm gonna touch you. Oh, I don't know about you, but you gotta get this in your spirit today. This is grace. We serve the God who always says, once more. I grew up in a Christian home and we always hear those stories about one day I changed and transformed and my life was turned around forever. I was never the same. I love that story. I love that encounter moment. But if you're talking to me what my story was, yo, I responded in 98,000 different altar calls. I grew up in church, we had real altar calls. You know, you'd sit in church and our church was serious, you know, you couldn't talk in church. You know, if my dad saw me talking in church, he would call, he would, he would call me out in the middle of his message. Shut up, boy, like, like that, that's my dad. You know, you don't sleep in church. If you're sleeping, you're, you're in trouble. You just, you're in church. And every Sunday there's an altar call. And you, you ever been in an altar call moment before? You gotta walk out of your chair. You gotta walk to the front. The whole church sees you. You've had that moment, right? You're sitting there in your chair and this preacher's preaching, but it's like, yo, someone else is talking to me. This is deeper. It's more than that man. It's more than that woman. Yeah, it's called the Holy Spirit. I know my palms are sweating. My heart's beating. You're not, it's not an Eminem song. It is a, it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many different times I was sitting in that chair and I took that long walk to the front and I'd get to the front and I'd go, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I failed again. I doubted again. I, I messed up again. I can remember on the journey, certain times just going, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I can't pray this prayer again. I can't, can't ask for it. I've just made too many mistakes. God, how many more chances do I get? And every single time the voice from heaven would resound in my spirit once more. This is grace. You cannot exhaust it. You cannot, it is far wider and far deeper than you could ever imagine. If you want God to touch you, if you want God's helping hand, if you want God's mercy, the only thing new about him is his mercy every single day. Once more, he wants to touch you. Once more, he wants to forgive you. Once more, he wants to bless you. Once more, he wants to heal you. Once more, he wants to call you. Once more, he wants to position you. Once more, he wants to put you into your purpose. He is the God who says, once more, I will touch you. Jesus, he touched the man once more. And the scripture says in verse 25, then, everyone say then, then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. 
Then his eyes were opened and his eyes could see everything clearly. They were restored. That word restored means to be brought back to its original state. You wanna know what Christmas is all about? Christmas was God's restoration mission for the earth. He came to the earth to restore, to bring us back to hit. Remember the Nintendo, you hit the reset button, reset, reset. That's what Jesus was doing when he came in that form of that little baby in the manger. He was saying, I wanna reset you all the way back before Genesis chapter three, before the serpent tempted, before sin fell into humanity, before the depravity of man occurred. I wanna restore this place. Jesus is on a restoration mission. That's why he came to restore us, to bring heaven down to earth, to set it back in motion. I have a friend who, who buys and flips houses and many times he'll find these old houses and he will restore them and then he will put the value back in it and, and sell it for more than what he purchased it for. And I was talking to him, I was asking him just about the process. And I said, well, just tell me like, what's, what's the most difficult thing about, you know, flipping and restoring the house? He said, well, Rich, oftentimes it depends on how bad the house is the worse off the house is, the more problems the house has, the restoration is deeper and it's longer. And many times for real restoration to take place, the house has to be deconstructed. It has to be, things have to be removed, things have to be pulled out, things have to be broken down in order to put it back together. Listen to me, you can be restored, but many times restoration, real restoration rarely happens overnight most of the time, it simply happens over time, over time. God wants to restore your sight. I read that same verse, verse 25, out of Eugene Peterson's message translation. And I like how Eugene Peterson says that his eyes were restored or put back to 2020 vision. Oh man, 2020 vision is it's perfect eyesight as we know it. But how many you know that the year 2020 has finally given a lot of us spiritual 2020 vision. There's something about the shaking of this year. There's something about this year and the pressure and the obstacles and the pain that if you're still standing right now, and I know you are, I believe that you are, you might not know it right now, but gradually you have grown and God is restoring your sight. You're seeing what matters most. You're recognizing that life is fragile. You're understanding that the church is so much more than a building. The church is a people. You're understanding that the mission of Jesus, it matters right now. We've got to make sure that the broken know that there's some people called Embassy Church that are willing to go to them and actually invite them into a relationship to a God who will touch them and transform them. I'm seeing clearly in 2020. Scripture says that Jesus heals the man, restores his sight, and then Jesus sent him home. And this is, this is where I close. He says, don't go into the village. Whew. Don't go into the village. I don't know what Jesus's frustration is with that village. <laughs> we, we don't know. He wanted to take him out. And then he says, you're healed. Don't go back. Um, there's lots of observations that we could make. There's lots of things that we could consider. I know this, I know that many times people get healed, but then they run right back to the place that hurt them. 
I know a, a lot of people get set free, but the moment they get set free, they go right back to the thing that enslaved them. A lot of people, they get forgiven. Oh, thank you for your forgiveness. But they run right back to the thing that was always causing the shame to begin with. Don't go back to the village. Don't go back to the thing that caused all of this to begin with. I don't know what was back in that village. I don't know if there was something bad, something toxic. I just know Jesus said, don't go into the village. But as I keep studying the text, the challenge for me is the only thing we know about the village was good stuff. It was the village. It was the some people that brought the man to Jesus. It was some people who invited Jesus to meet the man. So really the only true observation and the healthy observation we can make is that the village is a good place. Why would Jesus say, don't go back to the village? And I wonder, I wonder if the reason why Jesus said, don't go back to the village is not because the village was bad. I wonder if he said, don't go back to the village because the village is simply big. Big rich? Yeah. I wonder if Jesus says, don't go back to the village, not because it's bad, but because it's big. Here's what I know. I know that gradual miracles are no place for the masses. I've never ever seen an arena cheer for practice. I've never ever seen a stadium gather behind the curtain. Audiences, they don't show up for the process. Audiences applaud for the performance. And I believe that Jesus says, don't go back to the village because he understands that when he gets to that village, that blind man, what would have happened is the immediate hype would have robbed the lesson of the gradual gain. If that man would have gone back to the village, the hype of the crowd would have celebrated Jesus simply as a healer, would have believed Jesus as God just because he's a healer, but they would have missed the real lesson that Jesus is a savior. They would have said, wow, you can see. And the man would have started to listen to the fact that they're telling him that he could see and he might start to applaud the lesser miracle. He might start to say, yeah, you're right. My physical eyesight is the greatest miracle ever. But in reality is, it's not the biggest miracle. It was the smaller miracle. The biggest miracle was he had faith, faith to follow. But that faith is developed and forged in the small, gradual growth. I wonder today, I wonder how many times you and I, we've got the wrong measuring stick. Listen to me, if your measuring stick is simply big, then you will always feel small. No, 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 friend, we gotta get a better measuring stick. I gotta take you back inside that pantry door. You gotta go back into that pantry door and you gotta look back at the, at the marks, the gradual gains, the little gains. I wonder what it would look like if Embassy Church could be a community, a big village that learned how to celebrate the small wins, the small gains. I wonder what it would look like if you and I could step back and we could shout 
and we could holler and we could lift our hands for what? For the process, not just the performance. I wonder if we could celebrate, wow, God's working a miracle even when I can't see it. God's doing something great even when I can't feel it. Paul planted seed, Apollos watered seed, but only God made it grow. What would it look like if we could be a village that would get around when the seed's being planted and say, yo, something good's gonna happen. What would it look like if we'd come out every day and say, wow, that seed's being watered. No growth yet, but something's coming. What would it look like if we said, wow, the sun, it rose again today. I got a reason to praise Him. My seed is in the ground. What would it look like if we could celebrate every stage of the process? What would it look like if we could be a village that would say, little by little, we can go far. Don't get the wrong measuring stick. Because if you have the wrong measuring stick, you're gonna feel small for the rest of your life. But this man, he was growing gradually. Jesus did not heal him immediately. Jesus healed him progressively. And it is little by little we move forward. It is little by little we grow. It is little by little you build your business. It is little by little that you build a healthy marriage. It is little by little that your kids grow in the ways of God. It is little by little that you establish a church right there in the heart of Texas that lets the gospel go forward, that people can be set free and encounter Jesus forever. It's little by little. It's called gradual gains. I'm growing gradually. I'm growing gradually. You're growing gradually. Do not, do not overvalue the immediate miracle and underestimate the gradual gains. Just don't do it. It's crazy how we can totally overestimate what we can do in one year but we can totally underestimate what we could do in 10 years. You're growing. It's just gradual. Jesus, he does a bigger miracle and the bigger miracle is the one that you can't see immediately. You can't see it visibly. Oh, but faith, that was the real miracle. In the village, they wouldn't have celebrated it right. Don't. Go back to the village. I love you so much, Embassy Church. I wanna pray for you today. Lord, I thank you so much for Embassy Church. I thank you, Lord, that you're doing a work in that community. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the head of that community. And I pray today on this Christmas week that people would have their eyes, their spiritual eyes reopened to what it is that you can do. Lord, your grace is so big and so large. No mistake overshadows your grace. Remind us again today to follow you. Give us the faith to follow. Pray for Pastor Tim and Juliet as they continue to lead this vibrant community. Give them wisdom, give them clarity. Encourage them today that the best is still yet to come. In Jesus' name.